How often do you worry about evaluation sheets or happy sheets? As a professional trainer, you're usually asked to get your training delegates to fill in these kinds of sheets, typically at the end of a training session. And it's so easy to obsess about the things people say about our workshops, you know, your training programs and mine, right? We all want 10 out of 10 or or 5 stars, but we don't always get them, do we? And it's so easy to feel depressed when one or two people give you a negative score. It's natural, it's human, but what really matters is whether your training has helped people to achieve their objectives, personal objectives, business objectives. So how can you find out more about what people really think of your training. Today, Andy Edwards, a highly experienced trainer with years of experience in all kinds of areas, particularly behavioral psychology, he's going to share his ideas with you and with me so you can focus on what really, really matters. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark, and I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome you to today's episode of the show and to know that you're back for another value-filled 30 or 40 minutes of the show. And this is the show for people like you and me, for freelance trainers, for training business owners, training consultants all around the world. And we have listeners from all around the world. And because we have listeners from all around the world, I'm always looking to learn from you about the things that you find valuable on the show. And of course, the things that sometimes are not on the show, because this helps me to shape the content and to invite the right kinds of guests who can help you with your training business journey. And the goal of this episode and every episode is to help you to start, to grow, and to scale a profitable training business. Now, before the music, I mentioned that uh, we have a topic today which is close to my heart and more than likely close to the heart of anyone out there who's a professional trainer because when we deliver a program, inevitably, we ask for feedback. And when we get feedback and read people's comments, it's, it's hard not to feel affected by those comments because you want people to say nice things about your training, about you, but many of these things are of course beyond your control. And what we want to deliver ultimately is training which leads to agreed outcomes. So what I do now typically is I'll read evaluation sheets, at least blank ones, before they are given out because I want to know what people are asking, my delegates, and I also have conversations with stakeholders before training and agree training objectives and how these will be achieved and how they'll be measured. That's what I should be doing. And I also check in with the delegates in the training session before the training to reinforce, clarify, and expand these objectives if necessary and stress these objectives throughout the day or throughout the session and check in with people at various points in that session to make sure I'm on course. So these kinds of things are in my, what I call, circle of control and I've learned to let go of the rest. But Andy Edwards, today's guest, has also some very interesting thoughts on the subject, which is how do we find out what people really think of our training? So let's meet Andy. Andy, hi, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much for having me, Mark. Andy, um, you're based in the UK. Tell us exactly what you train and who needs what you do. 
<laughs> that's, that's a good po- point right now. Um, I train largely in a behavioral way because my background is in behavioral psychology. I'm accredited to deliver a number of psychometric instruments. Uh, and I got to the stage very soon after having learned how to do that as to so what. Uh, so I'm a, an, a Myers-Briggs, this set of letters, or I'm a that particular color. Um, but it's the application of that stuff, which, of course, I think is the interesting part. And so I found myself gravitating towards anything that uh, required relationship. So that would obviously be, well, <laughs> let's face it, pretty much any business circumstance. But I started to move towards two main areas, the relationships within the business. So that would be leadership, management relationships, team relationships, and of course, customer relationships. And I coined the phrase a little while ago, relationomics, which basically means to me that if you can leverage your relationships, both within the business and of course, outside the business to its stakeholders and customers, then the economics of the business will thrive. So that's really where I'm coming from, the behavioral side of training and a lot of leadership and management development, uh, but specifically around the behavioral aspects, what people do and what they say. And the kinds of companies who you work with, the kinds of businesses you achieve results for, who would they be? Uh, It does range uh, uh, fairly wide. Uh, I work across the UK. Um, Some of the areas where I found myself um, uh, in have been housing associations. Housing associations have almost almost a sort of a, a governmental feel about them they are quite uh, scrutinized in terms of their their public accountability so quite a lot of um, their training has to be quite carefully scrutinized in terms of its value which has helped me up my game over the years too um, but really a- across the board manufacturing organizations uh, a, a chap up in Kent is using me for a number of his different firms he absolutely adores the idea that manufacturing is one thing but the way we behave to each other is another and that's the thing that i'm uh, i'm finding a great deal of of success with notoriously difficult to measure by the way the the effect of behavior in the workplace culture if you will um, and often it's a lag time between getting things right uh, today and seeing the effects on the on the bottom line of the business tomorrow but uh, we keep an eye on that sort of thing and i think it's very important to be able to measure training and often that's what people bring you in for, really, isn't it? So um, the people who bring you in really want you to solve a business problem, which kind of leads us to today's topic, which is when we're in front of the people we're supposed to be training, we're often asked to provide a good experience. And what really is going on in our mind, in the minds of most trainers, is am I actually having the desired effect? And why this is relevant is most of us listening and people who recognize this in their experience will confirm that very often that comes down to some kind of happy sheet or some kind of document uh, being given out or unhappy sheet even being given out at the end of training. So the question here is how can we really understand or clarify what people think of our training and, and why it matters? Well, ultimately, what people think of your training does matter. Um, It matters because the extent to which they then go and do whatever it is that they have been trained to do and are effective and consistent at it is really the reason you're there. Um, But it's an interesting question, isn't it? What do delegates really think of the training? There is an answer that says, I don't mind as long as they get on with whatever I've suggested they do. 
uh, they can think what they like and 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 perhaps we'll talk a little bit later on about you know how uncomfortable people feel how hard you're supposed to push them that sort of stuff and and do you jeopardize what they think of your training uh, up against pushing them outside their comfort zone so they literally go and do something about it because until and unless they do you haven't been effective anyway so it doesn't matter what they think but i think a really good start point um would would be well, really, at the appointment stage, what do you, what literally, what are you there to do? Can you have a word with whomsoever has appointed that training as to what business problem it's solving? We were talking about happy sheets, and uh, I, I had to have a bit, bit of a laugh because I'm still asked to give out happy sheets, um, and often they are the, the the decision of HR to give a set of questions, which, by the way, includes things like, uh, was the food okay and was the room warm enough? Uh, none of which really has a bearing on me as the trainer. So if you do use happy sheets, um, I, I would question the efficiency or indeed the effectiveness of anything that's given from HR's point of view. A, a better result might be that you put together your own happy sheet but I, I still wouldn't call it a happy sheet. No, I wouldn't. And it's a kind of an unofficial term what some people call it a crappy sheet. Uh, <laughs> and and it's, it's true because in some respects, um, first of all, it's not something that necessarily measures the right things. And, and I'm really um, taken by how often the, the happy sheet or the, the feedback sheet or evaluation sheet um, is crea- created by people who have no understanding of what the training's to do. It's generic. It's been put together and is given out for the same training program or other training programs. In other words, it's, it's just something which is in a file somewhere. It's not been customized to measure the feedback of perhaps a business results-oriented program. And often the people who give out these happy sheets or feedback sheets are actually nowhere near the program. They don't attend they don't have anything to do with the people on the program. So I would question the measurement efficacy of that tool. And the other thing, of course, is that often these evaluation sheets contain or measure criteria which have nothing to do with the training content. For example, as you know, Andy, uh, it could say something like, um, what did you think of the food? Or what did you think of the room? Or what did you think of... um, Yeah, the, the organization of this event or something. And that's nothing to do with the training. I've even had, was the room warm enough? Um, was the room warm enough? <laughs> and you said, yes. well, how good is that? I mean, if you want to go and ask those people separately for, about the environmental issues, but by all means do so. But in terms of that training, you are hitting the nail bang on the head. It's a generic sheet. It's it's it, it's the same sheet you use for senior leadership and management training that you use for the same thing used for uh, fire fire uh, fire drill training it, it, it's it doesn't do any good and 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 here's an even worse issue that they are given out i question what on earth is done with them anyway so we get all this this in apparently all this information back and I, and i have this this phrase in my mind i say eight or nine out of ten people give eight or nine out of ten and you think well what's what's and what's the point of that? You know, you, you've got a set of, of, of feedback sheets with, with eight or nine. Yeah, it was good. With with no real idea of whether or not that – I mean, what do they do with that information? Do they decide that if it's an average of six or, or less, then they never use you again? If if it's ten, nine or ten out of ten, do they try and get you in for more training? What, what decisions are they making? Yeah, and it's funny because I, I worked for a number of training companies over the years as, as an associate. And I remember people saying to me, you must get eight out of 10. And it's as if the people who are measuring, uh, who are selling sales training, which is all about getting results for the business, 
which is what sales should really be about, not just keeping people happy, but getting results in terms of generating return on investment. For some reason, it descended into this um, almost um, competition for, for, for crowd-pleasing. We're basically obsessed with people saying nice things about us rather than saying, does what you've done for me actually get me results? Have I been able to generate um, the kind of results which required me to commission training in the first place? So we end up being a crowd pleaser and often we're keeping the wrong people happy. So it's something which maybe is designed by HR, which helps them to make decisions about which training providers to hire based upon maybe a short term, and I really mean short term response to something, thinking of level um, level one, Kirkpatrick, you know, as opposed to saying level four, does this actually lead back to business results? So there's a huge danger here, particularly for people who are new to training, to put their heart and soul into content and experience on the basis that people have to mark them positively at the end of the training. And often people, if I've said to someone as a test, you know, let's say it's part two of the training, the, the subsequent week, let's say we're doing a two-week program and I have people back, I can put my hand on my heart and say, those people have no idea how they rated the previous workshop. It's gone. It's forgotten. So you're right. Where does this information actually end up? And often that's the problem. We have to be confident to say, actually, you're measuring the wrong things here. And sometimes an idea is to, is to give out your own happy sheet or your own evaluation sheet, focusing on things other than sandwiches and heating and lighting. It's more about actually, does this help you to do your job better? And this is so, so often the case that people... I look at a happy sheet and I'm thinking, why are you asking Why are you asking my delegates to rate my training experience based upon heating and lighting, things over which I have absolutely no control? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're hitting the nail on the head again, Mark. More often than not, certainly in the area in which I train, which it tends to be the behavioral aspects, cultural aspects, more so than specific things um, of, of, of operational technical efficiency, it is notoriously difficult to measure. And and the happy sheet from HR that says, was it warm enough and was the food nice enough? Fine. If that's what they need, then, then we can all have a laugh along about it. But, it, you know, to give the feedback in an honest, respectful and straightforward way would be ideal. But as you've said, um, wouldn't it be a great idea, therefore, to understand what delegates really think of your training by virtue of how it's landed with them and in terms of what problem you're there to help them solve or goal you're there to help them achieve and the constituent elements of that goal or that problem. So why not uh, agree with the delegates, perhaps in real time, what they are there to achieve um, and measure them, get a self-measurement on that. But even that self-measurement, what do they really think of your training? When, when, we, when I ask people for a score out of 10 for something that they haven't really thought much about, guess what score they give? Have a guess. <laughs> 10. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, yeah. Uh, if, if they're given a score sheet in real time, it tends to be seven. Seven out of 10 means, yeah, pretty good, probably could do better. And it's a really rubbish score. And I actually now facilitate that. I say, right, these are the things we're here to learn by your own admission, by tying into some of the, 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 the program sponsors and what we're here to get. And whether or not you've been sent here, we might as well get something out of it. What are we going to get out of it? And we identify between three and 10 things, which they then self-score. But that needs to be facilitated. To understand what they really think, you've got to get them to think about what seven really means or what 10 really means or indeed one. So 
the facilitation around that, especially for relatively new trainers, is to is to allow allow yourself to tell them if you're currently at an average point where there are half the people in the world better than you and half the people in the world less good as you at this issue, then score yourself five. Five is not a low score. It's an average score. Seven is not an average score. It is a high score. It means only 30% of people are anywhere close to above you. Um, So I think it needs to also be facilitated around what they really think. And then you've got this opportunity. Yeah, happy sheet, crappy sheet. Let's get rid of that. Now we've got a self-scored measurement on really what they're there to achieve. And A, you're concentrating their mind on that up front. And B, use exactly that same set of words later on, at the end of the day or the end of the program, and re-score that, re-self-score that. And they won't remember what they put first. You will, because you've got the information. But I've never had anything other than a positive movement. You know, originally this point was a 6 out of 10. I've now moved to an 8. Or originally this point was a 3 out of 10. I've now moved to a 5. And that's always ever happened. And it also justifies in your audience in your delegates mind that you have been successful and therefore what they think of your training can be nothing other than positive by virtue of the fact you've moved them along and i think i think trainers need to get onto this more than than perhaps some of us do uh, i know it took me a while to convince myself this was the right way to go but every time i've done it it's worked and it's worked very very well yeah i mean i think that we can obsess about happy sheets or evaluation sheets a bit much um and it's having the confidence to say, look, um, these are the things by which I would like you to measure my training today. And we put them up on the board at the very first uh, part of the session. And here's why. We're going to have an evaluation sheet. Uh, you have all seen these things before. They come from your company, from HR perhaps. But I want you to focus on these things. So tell me today where you currently rate yourself. And that's the importance, of course, of having a baseline before training begins, which is to say, how would you self-score your things uh, your your performance or your uh, whatever those criteria are before we start training today. Get people to vocalize and share an opinion on what they think the baseline is. And of course, then maybe ask them uh, explicitly and saying, you know, what would it take to get you from a three to a five today or five to seven? No one all has to be uh, in the same place. That's not the goal of training, which kind of brings me to a point that you and I discussed about um, offline, which is often we have no control over who's in the room. And there's a, a real danger that the wrong people are in the room or the right room, but they're in the, the wrong people in the right room. And therefore the training's not for them. And of course, then they will feel, well, this is above me or it's beyond me, or I don't need this, or it's too complex. And of course, on an emotional level, they're going to give you uh, perhaps a negative score. W- what do you think about that? That idea that often we've got the wrong people and therefore the training isn't really going to work for them anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I become the enemy. I'm the reason why they're having to sit there for God knows how long, and they're sitting there looking at their watches, thinking, "I need, I need to be doing something else. This isn't real work." Um, yeah, part of the danger here is is depending on the size of the organisation, or indeed the size of the department that you're going into, and the trust that you've been given, and the ear, or 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 the the opportunity to get the ear of the person who has specified the training. Often this is miles and miles away from any of us. And I, as the trainer, are literally plonked into a room to do this tick box exercise of management development, this tick box exercise of sale, whatever the thing that you're training in is. And everybody gets a sheep dip 
of whatever it is that we're putting out there. I like that sheep dip, yeah. Yeah, sheep dip, yeah. Everybody, <laughs> everybody gets the same same smell. And and that's not the case. As a behavioral psychologist, I know that people are different. You know that people are different. Everybody knows people are different. You don't have to be a behavioral psychologist to understand that. And people will react to that in very different ways too. Um, you know, whatever they they feed back, if indeed they bother feeding back, um, because they probably already know that nothing's going to be done anyway. If they feed back something particularly negative, then that may not be your fault. And again, it's very easy to to see if you do get to see that one, two or three percent of people who turn around and say this was a waste of damn time. I knew everything that he was saying and I could have taken that course or whatever that negative feedback might be. It ain't your fault. And yet our human nature, everybody's human nature is to say, well, whilst I've got overwhelming positive feedback about how uh, how they've moved forward from six to an eight or what have you, you know, every now and again, you do get that devil in the in the in the background who is absolutely being told to be there, doesn't want to be there and possibly is absolutely accurate in their suggestion that they don't even need to be there. And, and, and it's a difficult one. Unless you've got an opportunity to go and specify uh, or consult, if you will, on the training program in and of itself. Um, I've recently got a contract with the NHS. They've got a set of problems. That's the National Health Service in the UK. I beg your pardon. That's absolutely true. Well, the biggest employer in Europe, let's face it. Is it really? Uh, Yeah, it really is. Um, Based, obviously, in the UK, National Health Service. It is a leviathan of an organisation. It is a veritable behemoth. And, and it grinds slowly onwards and nothing nothing is different in terms of their training requirement. And the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing a lot of the time. They get there eventually, bless their hearts. And, and there's nothing wrong with their, their desire to train people. But I've got nothing to do with what caused that training need in the first place. Neither have I been consulted on what some of the best ways of addressing that might be. That will be left, as it is with many organizations, not just the NHS, but tend to be large organizations. That's left with people who are very far away from the coal face, don't understand the actual the, the grassroots needs of the people who are doing that job, and therefore is is very generically sheep dip specified whereas i think it would be far better to split those people into three or four different groups identifying their specific needs because then you can start to get uh, some sort of traction and some sort of efficiency and effectiveness of what it is you're asking them to change you can push them appropriately some people don't like being pushed outside their comfort zone and there's another reason for a bit of negative feedback he didn't make me feel comfortable um Good, actually. Good. He wasn't supposed to make you feel comfortable. She pushed me out of my comfort zone. Good. She shows she's a good trainer because she's made you think of things that you hadn't thought of before. Hey, that's exactly what training should do. Yeah, it's transformation. And and that's that's a great point, is that often if your training is effective, it's stretching people's comfort zones. It's it's giving people new things to think about, which is challenging the status quo, challenging the way they think. And some people actually re- react to this uh, negatively, and it's not something that's uh, wrong. In fact, in some respects, it's a good thing. But it takes someone, hopefully, up up the food chain, someone upstairs in maybe HR or, or whoever, whichever level of the organisation is commissioning training, to recognise this. And I've I've had a few people say to me afterwards, you know what, um, that she's always like that. Don't worry about that. And I feel that that's great. And this is what I would like to people to really focus on here, which is that. We're not here to crowd please. We're not here to to make people happy. 
that's a nice byproduct of a great training experience. But often the training experience is a transformation experience, which leads to uncomfortable growth. So we have to sometimes go through a kind of a, a stretch zone to realize I'm not actually as good as I thought. And some people don't like this. Maybe a work, um, maybe some kind of workshop or some kind of exercise where you've actually exposed their weaknesses and, and they don't like the fact that now they're feeling perhaps not as clever as they thought they were. And what do they do? This is reflected back on you. And naturally, um, as trainers, because we take seriously everything we do, it's our program, we've created this, it's a product of ourselves, it's hard not to feel affected by this. And often that's someone's way of getting back at you, which is to put you down for the way you've made them feel, which actually isn't their long-term interest, but they can't see that way yet. And we, we naturally gravitate towards negative feedback. We might get five or six glowing scores, but the way our brains work, thinking of, say, our, our amygdala, our, that part of the brain that, that focuses on fear and, and concern, we naturally go, oh no, this is terrible because one person's given us a three. And what happens? Um, the conversation then revolves around someone maybe in HR saying, why did that person give you a three? And all of a sudden, the whole feedback is skewed. So there's a real danger that we allow people to, to, to focus on the bad apples and to judge us by one or two people who just for some reason be completely beyond your control it has decided they're not having a good day. And because they're in a room of people they don't like and the training isn't for them and they don't feel they need it, they're going to give you um, some kind of crappy feedback. Sure, sure. And and the word that was hitting my brain as you were talking through that fit was the word relevance. How relevant is this feedback? What are the circumstances that have led to this being a negative piece of feedback? And I, I tell you, I've, I've, I'm on a, a, an online platform called Udemy, which is a which is a worldwide learning platform. And I've got a number of courses on that on that platform, and the very vast majority of of feedback that I get from my courses is four or five stars out of five, which is lovely, um, and I think, of course, well deserved. But are those the ones I concern myself with? Do I fall asleep <laughs> thinking of no. my five stars? No. no, I fall asleep or wake up in the middle of the night thinking, why did that bugger give me one star? Damn, what did I yeah. do wrong? Yeah, that's it. And of course, the danger then, A, by the way, there is almost certainly no feedback in terms of what I should be doing differently. It's just one star. That's it. And and that's the bit that worries me. And of course, I get an opportunity on that platform to go back and say, hey, um, one star, pretty low score for me. Um, what could I have been doing better? And I, and I solicit the feedback, which isn't forthcoming. Now, once I recognize that there's nothing, no substance, if you will, or no purpose around that one star, it's just somebody having a bad day, or they've hit a program that they didn't know was going to be about this, and that they've just switched it off, fine. You know, once I recognize the relevance of that one star, I can ignore it. But you've hit the nail on the head again. Human nature is that that's the one I'm going to worry myself about. But here's the thing. On the extraordinarily rare occasion, and it is, I think I can probably count it on one hand, probably on two or three fingers, where somebody who's given me one, two, or even three stars, which is low score on that platform, and I've asked for specific feedback, who have come back to me, that becomes more relevant. And I've learned from some of those things that have come back. One person said, I would have really loved to have seen a quiz at the end of that course. Many other courses of a similar ilk have a quiz. Yours doesn't. Uh, by that definition, I've marked it down. And I went back and I thanked that guy a lot. 
And I said, that's a really brilliant idea. And I made that change. The danger would be to make every change that you think or feel is necessary by virtue of negative feedback. You know, you, you, you know, you're probably not as good as your standing ovation and you're probably not as bad as your one star review. You will be somewhere in between. And to build up a healthy resilience and set of self-esteem around the material is good. The way I do it is good. Can I improve? Yes, of course but I will improve through relevant feedback rather than happy sheets, somebody having a bad day, or, 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 or anything else that is largely irrelevant to you, like the temperature of the damn room. Come on. So if we think of ways that someone listening to this can actually go about getting feedback that's accurate, helpful, relevant, something that will help them to improve their training and maybe the way they deliver that training, things that come to mind would be to, I think we mentioned this earlier on, which is to actually ask to see the happy sheet, if you can, the evaluation sheet beforehand and discuss with HR how they're going to actually um, score or, or consume or, or judge feedback. What to them is a good score? What to them is an acceptable score? Is there a threshold? Is there a baseline? Um, maybe ask to discuss with them who's in the room, who's going to be in the room and what those people have in terms of learning objectives. And often, and you're right, you mentioned this earlier on, We particularly and thinking of public sector courses I've been on where literally hundreds of people are going through the same program, often the wrong fish is in the net. We have the wrong person in the room who naturally will um, give some kind of negative feedback. And it's often establishing with, with the people who read the forms that these are the things which they're really concerned about and therefore um, going to judge you on. And also maybe asking to speak to people who own this business problem. So for example, if people are going through a leadership program, say one of yours, Andy, it's it's saying to someone, well, who actually is their manager and what will they want to see in terms of, of results when that person comes back from training? What to them proves this person is actually doing the job? Maybe having a conversation with that manager one-to-one and sometimes having conversations with people one-to-one throughout the day. So what I've done in the past is um, I would sit down with someone at lunchtime or over coffee, just get them on their own and say, how's the training going? What do you think so far? You know, what have you, what were your expectations? What would make this a, a good experience for you? So often checking throughout the day, just casually having a conversation with someone or just even observing people's engagement with you, um, that should help you. And I think that's something many trainers don't do, which is to flex. So although you have learning objectives, um, ultimately the goal that you have is to deliver uh, learning content in a way that achieves a business objective. That, that's my, my view. So it's, if it's your training program, you have to get feedback throughout the day to say, am I on the right course? And if you feel you're not on the right course, if it turns out that someone has done something like this before, it's up to you to change the training program, isn't it? It's up to you to actually take this dynamic feedback and do something with it. Just knowing someone has had training like this before and doing nothing with it, well, that's going to end in tears. So, you know, it's it, it, feedback should not be the thing you do at the end of the day. It should be something you do throughout the day. And that's a great way to get honest, direct feedback one-to-one. And sometimes just a group of people over coffee. So how's it going? You know, what? Uh, how do you feel it's measuring up to your expectations? And sometimes people will be honest and just say, well, X. And you can say, oh, well, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. And let's, what would actually improve this after lunch? And often people appreciate this, the fact that you're involving them and kind of co-creating the training oh that oh, oh wow that's, that's such a value of mine uh, early on in the training course i talk about my going on the same journey as they're on 
you know, I, I'm, I'm on this journey with you and, and that, that co-creation idea, the ability to be flexible and spontaneous in the moment and to bring things up in the mix that people are fascinated with or struggling with or a combination of both and, and able to move things along when somebody says, yeah, yeah, we sort of got this one. We, we, we sort of need to move on. And that will come down to the extent to which you've opened that communication channel um, with, with, with those delegates. Um, which is all about your first impression stuff, which is a completely different subject uh, altogether, but very one that's very close to my heart. But the word that's coming across time and time again to me is the extent to which you communicate with these people and keep that communication open, be that one-to-one, be that formal, be that asking in real time, uh, talking about, do you want to know more about this? Is this something that's relevant? How do you see this being applied? Is this something that you've heard about before? All of that sort of questions and being vulnerable to those answers. Vulnerability is not a weakness, it's an absolute strength because it speaks of your preparedness to be part of, of, of their learning experience, not just, I mean, if it was just about transference of information, Mark, then just buy them a flipping book and, and say, read that, uh, write to them. You know, it's not just about the information. It's about the extent to which you involve them in that information and that it is relevant to them. You give them relevant training with relevant outcomes and they will give you relevant feedback. Something I've um, done in the past is is I've actually made a video and I haven't been asked to, but I've said to say a client, look, what I'd like to do is, is to market the training internally before it actually happens on the day. Why? Well, because people get to see me, first of all. Secondly, I can outline the expectations. And often that clarifies in someone's mind, actually, this, of course, isn't for me um, because it's been missold to them. Um, so they may have negative expectations from the beginning. But if I can communicate with them uh, pre-training, they can see me, but they also listen to what I define as the objectives. And also I might give some hints as to how this course will be measured in terms of its um, efficacy. And something else that comes to mind is that if I say to people, um, these are the objectives, um, for this to really work, I will need you to have these things done beforehand. Giving people homework often weeds out people who are not really committed to the uh, objective of the training. Um, it's amazing how many people deselect when they have it's been made clear to them this training will not help them, or it's something which maybe sounds a bit like too much work. Uh, they want to just take a day off and sit down and be talked to and, and have a nice lunch. Um, what actually you're going to make them work. So it's not training, it's a workshop. Uh, here are my expectations. Here's how we're going to measure the effectiveness of the day. So we're almost imposing upon the group what the measurement will be. The happy sheet then becomes a kind of a thing in the background, which they do for HR. So I would have no uh, qualms or, or reservations about creating those objectives aside from those given to you by the client organization and even creating a sheet um, which you give out in in tandem with the, the sheet that you give out for the organization. Of course, um, to give a ridiculous story, but it's true, um, I can think of a time when actually I had to give out four evaluation sheets because different parts of the organization wanted feedback. And that's insane. So that's another thing, which is to say, just so we're clear here, this is how we're measuring. Uh, this, these are the goalposts. This is how we're measuring training. Um, and I'd like to see those training uh, evaluation sheets beforehand. And I'm going to give you some uh, feedback on that. <laughs> and I've done that. And people say, yeah, you're right, actually. I'm not sure why we're asking people about the lunch and the lighting. It's nothing to do with you. So why, why are we asking your people to? And also one more th- thought in my mind as I'm just waffling on here, which is that <laughs> I like to think that those people are my care for the day. So I have to be confident enough to push back if I, if I think that we're measuring the wrong things here. Um, have you any thoughts on that? The idea of just, you know, 
taking your courage in your hands and saying, look, I don't like this evaluation sheet. I'm not sure it's asking the right questions <laughs> because it's not fair. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, I think it's your job to do so. Um, and, and again, part of your communication skills level, your interaction skills will be to, to respect what's gone before and to seek to move things forward. Um, coupled with, you know, the delegates aren't stupid. They're not fools. They, they know I've heard most of them call them happy sheets or crappy sheets in in the past. They they know that it is a perfunctory exercise that flipping HR need need us to do. They, they're not stupid. They know that, and I think the more specific to the training course those evaluation sheets could be, uh, especially as we've spoken about derived sets of evaluations that they can score themselves and then score later on. Once they are engaged with this has a purpose, then they take it more seriously. And I think you're right. Do push back on that and i absolutely adore the idea of 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 getting at least some channel of communication to the potential delegates prior to the course in and of itself ideally with some pre-work but i'll tell you now there's one housing association that i've dealt with over here in in the uk where they actually ran a competition it was called the aspiring leaders program and they ran a competition for 42 people to become part of this aspiring leaders program. They had 150 entrants. Now, obviously that brings up, so what on earth are they gonna do with the 90 plus or so, or 100 or so that didn't get in? And, and we had a conversation separately about that. But in principle, what I had therefore in front of me on, on uh, in two cohorts were two sets of people who had battled to be there. And by that virtue were really keen on making sure that they got as much as possible out of that training. And all of the facilitation around what they really think of the training, half of it had already been done because they thought it was worth it already. Um, it's not going to work every single time, but uh, to, to get that idea of buy-in prior to the training course itself, rather than hoping what they're on the course, they give you buy later on. Yeah, you see, you're, you're not you're actually earning the right to sit in the room, aren't you? You're earning the right to be in my room, and therefore. Um, naturally you have people who are going to have a more healthy view about the training. They're more enthusiastic, they're more engaging, they're fun to, to work with, they're fun to train. They contribute more to discussions as opposed to crossing their arms with a frumpy expression and a, and a furrowed brow thinking, why the hell am I here? You really want to be, and it's a bit like, um, I'm thinking of many programs, I've seen US court dramas where before a, a, some particular kind of case begins, um, there's jury selection. So in a way, you're being judged by people in the room. Should you not have some say about who's in the room and judging your training? Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely right. And, and again, the job of training is so much easier when people absolutely want to be there. And if they don't, there's your bag as well. If you're a trainer, you're going to get people who are sitting at the front, arms folded, head down. Um, to the extent to which, how brave can you be about them? Well, very brave. I think you can start off by saying, if by the time we get to our break in this first day of tra training, you feel this is not for you, you shouldn't be here in the first place, then I will gladly allow you to go back to whatever it is that you do and speak to your direct manager or direct line person or whomsoever suggested you come on this course with you in order to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen again. Now, I've only ever had one person do that um, who actually came up to me a couple of days later and apologized for having a bad day. So there was a little bit of that going on as well. But mostly people are quite surprised at the confidence with which, look, we're here, we might as well get something out of it. 
if you're told to be here, well, well, let's sort of buckle down. But if by the first break, which is going to be about 11, half past 11 in the morning, if you really think you shouldn't be here, then go, have a word with me and go. And I will think, no, in fact, I think a lot of you for, for, for being that brave. And I will facilitate that leaving. And I will explain to your line manager or your specifier as to why I don't think you should have been there as well. That's fantastic, Andy. That really is fantastic. Because it, it, it doesn't mean you don't care, but it comes across as, you know, I'm not going to, you know, sweat blood here. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not some kind of performing monkey. If uh, you don't feel you should be here, we're adults. Take yourself off. Go back to work. I think it shows that you do care. And it also shows that if you've got somebody who's being subversive and, and, and horrible at the front row or even at the back row or both, um, then get rid of them. You don't want them in that room because that, that sort of attitude gains, gains friends. And you, you don't want them to start to say in the breaks, well, this is a load of flipping rubbish, isn't it? And they go... Actually, I thought it was okay, but if you think it's rubbish, you've been here longer than me, perhaps it is rubbish. You know what? And that's definitely another subject for another time, which is how do we deal with with people who heckle us um, and who just are there to cause trouble? It's it's a rare occurrence, it has to be said, but we do get that. And you've had that. I'm sure I've had that too. My, my first training program I ever ran as a behavioral psychologist, I had somebody at the front exactly like that. And I just, I took the plunge straight away to do that. And uh, I've, I've never been scared of it since, although I was very dry mouthed at the time, I can tell you. It, it, and it's what we do. I mean, as trainers, we love helping people. We can help people who don't want to be helped or to determined not to um, let us help them. So let them go. Let go to grow. So just in summary here, we're talking about how to find out what people really think of your training. So it's it's having conversations with the right stakeholders before training, during training, after training. So during training, the people commissioning the training as well as after training, maybe HR. Um, often the delegates in the training room before they come into the training room, perhaps through email. And I try and do that, which is opening a conversation with people, get their email addresses, ask for permission to communicate with them, and just maybe send some message saying, what are your objectives one-to-one before the training? What do you want from this day? And then doing your best to ensure that what you're giving them aligns with their expectations without, of course, trying to be a crowd pleaser and going down that uh, rabbit hole of trying to customize your training program to suit everyone. You can't do that. Um, and then also perhaps thinking of of your happy sheet. Can you actually use some kind of uh, your own evaluation form, which you come up with, which gathers the right feedback that you are comfortable judging yourself and your program by? And then, of course, maybe taking points throughout the day, times uh, before training, like you've just said, putting something on the board. These are the things we're going to measure today. Where are you right now? Baseline experience, getting feedback from people and saying, what would it do take to to take that from a three to a five, a five to a seven, et cetera. Um, and I like your idea of just releasing people and saying, look, if this isn't for you, we, we're now all clear why we're here, what we're going to do today. And if this isn't for you, then maybe it's time for you to leave. And and I'm not going to you know cry tears. Doing it in a professional way, but making it clear you're not here for a popularity contest. You're not here to to turn it, to win fanboys and fangirls. You're here to deliver a training experience. And then, of course, afterwards, um, having conversations with people who own the business problem and saying, um, kind of level four here, what are you? Pay, pe- what are your people able to do now they were not able to do beforehand? And that, to my mind, is the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, test. Which is, have you seen transformation such that the training is worthwhile and you can see a business case for inviting me back to train more of your people? Yeah, yeah, that's a great commercial statement as well. It 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 all sort of comes down to. Uh, 
I remembered speaking at a conference in, in, in the Middle East, actually. But plenty of people in the audience, really pumped up, really enjoyed it. Um, and I came off, off stage. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's not training, but it's a communication. But somebody came up to me and said, look, you, you, you talked about reading people as a behavioral psychologist. You read people. He said, how, how can I tell what people are thinking? And it sort of it fits into this, this head. What, what, does, what do your delegates really think of your training? And he asked me, what? how can I read somebody's mind? How can I know what somebody's thinking? And I looked at him and I thought, you're thinking of somebody in particular, aren't you? And it was either his boss or his wife, I can't remember. <laughs> but it was definitely somebody he had in mind. How do I know what this person's thinking? And I look back and it was a bit of a glib answer and I, it was a bit of a smart alecky answer, but I was pumped at the time. But it, it stayed with me and I think it stayed with him. I said, there's one way I know that pretty much guarantees to find out what somebody really thinks of you. And he said, what is it? What is it? And I said, you ask them. Simple as that. It, it, it sort of is. And if you're the sort of person who is open to that sort of communication level, who is respectful of the other person in the first place and demonstrate a keenness to know what the other person is thinking or feeling, then as we've sort of, the theme throughout the whole of this talk has been, let's keep the communication open. Wh whichever stakeholder we're talking about, be it HR, be it the, the specifier of the course, be it the people on the course, be it before, during, or after the course, it's all about that communication, which starts with you saying a version of, how's this going? Yeah, um, and, and ultimately, when I think of feedback, um, it feedback isn't just for HR, it's for you. So if you can take time throughout the day to ask people questions casually, even using observation powers, observational powers. What is what's going on? Is what's going on in the room actually telling me people are having an experience conducive to learning, which is conducive to business results? And if I think of most training that I do, at least, um, most of it is actually linked to some kind of organizational objective. And if we're not delivering the training, sometimes that's because um, if we're not delivering the right training the right way, it's often because we're not clear on what those organizational objectives are. And of course, that is up to us as trainers to do. Okay, so we've kind of come to the end of the discussion, a fascinating topic, and I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time, because it's something that really, I guess, resonates with both of us and, and most people listening, because unlike many other professions, there seems to be this tendency in training to always ask people at the end of the training session what they thought. Um, I don't think of any, I can't think of, say, people in in, in uh, sales or uh, architects who, as soon as they have a client engagement, stick a piece of paper in someone's hand and say, tell me what you thought of me. It's a curious kind of anomaly in training that we we sometimes work with organizations who are obsessed with this immediate feedback, which isn't often the right feedback. So it's having confidence of mind to say, Sometimes these happy sheets are just not the best way to measure myself by. Am I happy with how people actually measure my training? And and if I'm not, it's it's up, up to you to roll up your sleeves and do something about this, right? Sure. Exactly that. You've got to measure the right things and, and do something with that material based on its relevance, because we know that the happy sheets based on you know whether or not the room was warm enough and, and, and the generics, they're, they're very little, if anything, will be done. And it's a great question to ask about any aspect of business, but specifically the outcomes of training here will be this information that you collect, what decisions are made on the basis of feedback? And if there's no, if there's no response, if there's, but what we tend not to, it's just, you know, we, we, we make sure that, and if it's not, if it's not up to standard, or if it's incredibly high, do you do anything about either of those things? Well, no, and there is a big pile of them somewhere stuffed in the corner that nobody's really looked at. Yeah, 
and they're going to end up in a scrap of, of, of paper or something else. It's that's my wife. How, how long shall I keep this before we throw it out? <laughs> yeah. Take what you can from feedback and then throw it away. And that's it. Don't worry about this. It's, it's not going to kill you. Uh, we need feedback, but it's knowing the difference between relevant feedback and irrelevant feedback and, and just giving yourself a pat on the back for a job well done. If you've delivered training and it's, and if you're confident it's achieved uh, business objectives, then that that's what counts really. It's as long as you're aligning them with the organization objectives, that, that to my mind is the most important thing. And as, as we'd both agree, most people by the end of the next day will have forgotten what feedback they've given. It's just a temporary thing. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? My absolute pleasure. Um, my name is Andy Edwards, and my website is Andy Edwards. If you think of all the Ws, then andyedwards.biz, B-I-Z. And on there, you'll find a little bit about me, a little bit about what I do, and some of the principles that I bring to bear. And what people uh, often gravitate towards is my little psychometric assessment. So check out my card game on that site, and you'll end up with a complimentary two-page profile all about your type, which, from a training point of view, helps A, with your style, and B, recognising other people. So andyedwards.biz, and check out the card game. Thanks very much, Andy. My absolute pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Andy for being our guest today on the show. And thanks to you for your time for tuning in. There are many fine podcasts out there, and I'm conscious of the fact that you've spent time on this one today, and I thank you for that. And I'd love to know that you're willing to come back next week, so please subscribe to the show. You can find a fresh episode of the show every single Thursday on a range of platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. And of course, you have some great ideas for episodes, content, which you'd like me to feature. And therefore, for that reason, I'd love you to write to me. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. If you've got some ideas in terms of topics or even suggestions for guests, please keep those coming to me. But until next time, please look after yourself. And I look forward to hearing from you next week, next Thursday, in fact. Until then, take care. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.